Okay, so we have the car payment, the rent, utilities, and the repair bill. <sighs> what should we do? I know. I'm going to CashNetUSA.com. I can apply in minutes, get an instant decision, and if approved, we could have the money in our account as soon as the same business day. When you need money fast, be the hero. Go to CashNetUSA.com to apply for the money you need now. The exact timing as to when your loan funds will be available will be determined by your banking institution. If you're ready to lose weight, Noom Weight can help. Our weight loss program uses the latest in psychology and behavioral science to help you better understand your relationship with food and build long-lasting habits. And the best part is, you decide how Noom fits into your life. We won't tell you what you can or can't eat. Instead, we'll give you the knowledge and tools you need to make informed choices that fit your lifestyle. Start your trial at Noom.com habit. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash habit. The Six Napoleons by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Dramatized by Grant Eustace, with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes and John Moffat as Dr. Watson. It was no very unusual thing for Inspector Lestrade of Scotland Yard to look in upon us. His visits were welcome to Sherlock Holmes, for they enabled him to keep in touch with all that was going on at the police headquarters. In return for the news which Lestrade would bring, Holmes was always ready to listen to any case upon which the detective was engaged, and was able occasionally to give some hint or suggestion. On this particular occasion, however, Lestrade had spoken to us of the weather and the newspapers, and then had fallen silent. Well, Lestrade, hmm? anything remarkable on hand? Oh, no, no, Mr. Holmes. Nothing very particular. Ah. Then tell us about it. Ah, yes. Well, there is no use denying that there is something on my mind. And yet it's such an absurd business that I hesitated to bother you about it. On the other hand, it is undoubtedly odd. Although more in Dr. Watson's line than yours, I fancy. No, a disease then, or um, illness? Oh, madness, anyhow. Oh. And you wouldn't think there was anyone living now who had such a hatred of Napoleon that he would break any image of him that he could see. Oh. Well, that's no business of mine. Exactly. But when a man commits burglary to break images which are not his own... Oh, that brings it away from the doctor and onto the policeman. Uh, burglary is... Uh, is more interesting. Uh, well, let me hear the details. The first case was reported four days ago. Is there a shop in the Kennington Road that sells pictures and statues? Owned by a, a Mr. Morse Hudson. Well, Inspector, my assistant had left the front of the shop for just an instant when he heard a crash. Mm. He hurried back and found a plaster bust of Napoleon Bonaparte lying smashed into fragments on the floor. Was any other damage done? None at all. Well, what then? The lad rushed into the street. Mm. Uh, several passers-by had seen a man leave the shop, but there was no means of identifying the rascal. How much was this uh, bust worth? <laughs> a few shillings, that's all. Oh. A senseless act of hooliganism too childish to investigate, Mr Holmes. Or so I thought at first. But this was not an isolated case? No. Mm. And the second, which only occurred last night, was more serious. Not only that, but as Lestrade's narrative demonstrated, more singular as well. 
A doctor, who was an enthusiastic admirer of Napoleon, had some little time before purchased two duplicate casts of the French Emperor from Mr. Hudson's shop. One of these he placed in the hall of his house in Kennington, and the other on the mantelpiece of his surgery in Brixton. Imagine his astonishment then, Mr. Holmes, to find when he came down this morning that he had been burgled, but nothing had been taken save the plaster head. Well, this is certainly very novel. Ah, I thought it would please you. The head had only been carried as far as the garden, where it had been dashed savagely against the wall. Better still. Yeah, but what of the second person? I was coming to that. When the doctor got to his surgery, he found that the window had been opened during the night and the broken pieces of the bust were strewn all over the room. Well, the facts are certainly unusual, mm. not to say grotesque. Were the doctor's two busts exact duplicates of the one destroyed in the shop? They were taken from the same mould. Oh, well, that must tell against the theory that the man who breaks them is influenced by any general hatred of Napoleon. Considering how many hundreds of statues must exist in London, it is too much of a coincidence that this promiscuous iconoclast should chance to begin on three identical ones. Oh, on the other hand, Morse Hudson is the only purveyor of busts in that part of London, and these are the only three which had been in his shop for many years. A local fanatic might begin with them. Hmm. What do you think, Watson? Well, there are no limits to the possibilities of monomania. The man could conceivably form a fixation about something trifling, but be completely sane in every other way. He would certainly seem to be sensible enough to find out where these busts are situated. Yes, and there is a certain method in the proceedings. For example, in the doctor's home, where a sound might rouse the household, the bust was taken outside before being broken. Mm, yes. Whereas in the surgery, where there was less danger of alarm, it was smashed where it stood. Still, the affair seems absurdly trifling. Ah, but I dare call nothing trivial when I reflect that some classic cases have had the least promising commencement. Oh, yes, yes. Remember the dreadful business of the Abernetti family? Oh. That was first brought to your notice by the depth which the parsley had sunk into the butter on a hot day. That's hardly very much. I say, you see, Lestrade, I can't afford to smile at your three broken busts. Mm. I should be very much obliged if you will let me hear of any fresh developments. They were quick in coming. I was still dressing next morning when there was a tap on the door and Holmes entered, a telegram in his hand. Ah. Uh, Watson, mm -hmm. from, um, from Lestrade. Huh? Come instantly. 131 Pitt Street, Kensington. Oh, the image breaker seems to have begun operations in another quarter of London. Indeed. Now, there's coffee on the table and I have a cab at the door. All right. <clears throat> in half an hour we had reached Pitt Street, a quiet little backwater beside one of the briskest currents of London life, where a curious crowd had gathered. By George, it's attempted murder at the least. Huh? Well, nothing less will hold the London message, boy. Oh. Now, what's this? The top steps will down and the other one's dry? Hmm. Footsteps enough, anyhow. Lestrade received us in the sitting room of the house where an agitated elderly man paced up and down, the owner of the house, Mr. Horace Harker of the Central Press Syndicate. It's the Napoleon bust business again, Mr. Holmes. But now it's taken a very much graver turn. Yes, indeed. And what does it turn to, then? Murder. Mr. Harker, will you tell these gentlemen exactly what has occurred? Oh, very well. <clears throat> the journalist began by regretting the fact that he was so confused and bothered that he was unable to write about what had occurred. Slowly, however, he began to tell us the events of a few hours before. They once again centred around a bust of Napoleon, which Harker had bought four months previously from Harding Brothers near the High Street Station. 
I often write until the early morning, and so it was today. I was sitting at the top of the house when I was convinced I heard some sounds downstairs. What time is that? About three o'clock. I listened, but they were not repeated, and I concluded they came from outside. Then, suddenly, about five minutes later, there came a most horrible yell. It will ring in my ears as long as I live. I sat frozen with horror for a minute or two. Then I seized the poker and went downstairs. To this room? Yes. The window was wide open and the bust was gone from the mantelpiece. Ah. Anything else? No. Then I went to the front door to see if the burglar was anywhere in sight. Stepping out, I nearly fell over a dead man who was lying there. There was a great gash in his throat, and the whole place swimming in blood. He lay on his back, with his mouth horribly open. I shall see him in my dreams. Who was the murdered man? You can see the body at the mortuary, Mr. Holmes, but there's nothing to show who he was. No, what sort of man? Tall, sunburnt, very powerful, not more than thirty. A horn-handled clasp knife was lying in the blood beside him. No name on his clothing? No, nothing at all. No, what about his pockets? Oh, an apple, some string, a shilling map of London, and uh, this photograph. It represented an alert, ape-like man with thick eyebrows. And what became of the bust? It's been found in the front garden of an empty house in Camden Hill Road, broken into fragments. Well, then, let's go to see it. Mm. Uh, once I've had a, a look round here... Hmm. Well, the fellow had either very long legs or, or was most active. It was no mean feat to reach this window ledge and open the window. Mm. Are you coming with us, Mr. Harker? Oh, no, no. I, I, I must try and make something of this murder on my own doorstep. Though I have no doubt the first editions of the evening papers are out already with full details. Just like my luck. The spot where the fragments of the bust had been found was only a few hundred yards away. Holmes picked up several of the pieces and examined them carefully. I was convinced from his intent face that at last he was upon a clue. Well, Mr. Holmes, we have a long way to go, and yet there uh, are some suggestive facts. Such as? The possession of this trifling bust was worth more in the eyes of this strange criminal than a human life. Yeah. That's one point. And then I would call your attention very particularly to the position of this house in the garden of which the bust was destroyed. It is an empty house, and so he knew he would not be disturbed. But there is another empty house further up the street, which he must have passed. Why not break it there? Well, the reason is the street lamp under which we're standing. Hmm? Here he could see what he was doing. Ah, that's true. And now I come to think of it, the doctor's bust was broken close to his surgery lamp. <sighs> But what are we to do with that fact, Mr. Holmes? To remember it. Uh, to docket it. Now, what steps do you propose to take, Inspector? Ah, the most practical way of getting at it, in my opinion, is to identify the dead man. <laughs> no doubt. And yet it is not quite the way in which I would approach it. No. I suggest you go on your line and I on mine, and we can compare notes afterwards. Very good. If you're going back to Pitt Street, mm -hmm. you might tell Mr. Harker that I've quite made up my mind that a dangerous homicidal lunatic with Napoleonic delusions was in his house last night. Really? Oh, Holmes, you don't seriously believe that. Don't I? 
Uh, well, uh, perhaps I don't. Uh, but I'm sure it will be useful for his article. Oh, and Lestrade. Mm. I should be glad if you would make it convenient to meet us at Baker Street at um, six o'clock this evening. Six o'clock. Uh, what about the photograph from the dead man's pocket? I should like to keep it for today. Uh, until this evening, then. Mm. Mm. Now, Watson, mm. we have a long and complex day's work before us. Yes. As you've no doubt surmised, we must endeavour to trace these busts to their source in order to find if there is not something peculiar which may account for their remarkable fate. Quite, quite. But our first call at the shop of Harding Brothers in the High Street, where the bust had been purchased, yielded little. We learned that Mr. Harding would be absent until the afternoon, so we decided to come back then and made our way to the Kennington Road to talk to Mr. Morse Hudson. Yes, Mr. Holmes, smashed on this very counter, sir. What we pay rates and taxes for, I don't know. When any ruffian can come in and break one's goods. You sold the two statues to the doctor, I understand. Yes, it was I, sir. Disgraceful business that was, too. Where do you get the statues from? I don't see what that has to do with it. But if you really want to know, I got them from Gilder and Company in Church Street, Stepney. Uh-huh. How many did you have? Three. Two of the doctors and one smashed in broad daylight on my own counter. Hmm. Do you know the man in this photograph? No, I don't. Yes, I do, though. That's Beppo. Uh, who is he? Italian. Made himself useful in the shop. Left me last week, and I've heard nothing from him since. Do you know where he came from, or where he went to? No, sir, I do not. And now, a good day to you, sir. I must be about my work. Well, thank you for your help, Mr. Hudson. Uh, Well, that's all we could reasonably expect from him. Oh, we have this Beppo as a common factor. Yes, yes, that was worth a ten-mile drive. Now, Watson, for Gelder and Company of Stepney. <laughs> when we found the sculptor works we were seeking, we passed through a yard full of monumental masonry into a large room in which fifty workers were carving or moulding, and from thence to the manager's office. We make hundreds of casts of Napoleon, Mr. Holmes. But do your records tell you anything of the three that went to Mr. Morse Hudson a year or so ago? Of course. Yes, here we are. There was a batch of six. Three went to him and three to Harding Brothers of Kensington. How are these busts made? We make two moulds of plaster of Paris at each side of the face, join them together and leave them to dry. And that work is done in the workshop here? Yes, by the people you see, mostly Italians. Do you know the man on this photograph? That rascal, yes, I know him. The only time we have ever had the police here was over this fellow. Oh? What happened? He knifed another Italian in the street. He ran into the works with the police at his heels and was taken here. Do you know where he is now? The man he attacked lived, so he got off with a year and must be out of prison now. We have a cousin of his here, and I dare say he could tell you where he is. No, 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 not a word to the cousin, I beg you. Your ledger says these six casts were sold on uh, June the 3rd last year. Could you give me the date Beppo was arrested? Uh, I could tell you roughly by the pay list. Yes, he was last paid on May the 20th. The afternoon was far advanced so we snatched a hasty luncheon at a restaurant while Holmes glanced at a newspaper he had bought. Mr. Horace Harker has got his account into print after all. Here, see for yourself. Thank you. Murder by a madman. 
Quite so. Uh, look towards the end of the article. It is satisfactory to know that Mr. Lestrade, one of the most experienced members of the official force, and Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the well-known consulting expert, have each come to the conclusion that the grotesque series of incidents arise from lunacy rather than deliberate crime. The press, Watson, is a most valuable institution, if you only know how to use it. And now, if you've finished, we will hark back to Kensington. Right. The manager of Harding Brothers proved to be a crisp little man, very dapper and brisk. Yes, Mr. Holmes, I supplied Mr. Harker with a bust some months ago, one of three we ordered from Gelder and Company. Could you tell me to whom the other two were sold? Oh, well, let us consult the sales book. Uh, here, ah, yes, here we are. Mm. Uh, perhaps you would be good enough to note down the details, Watson. Yes, yes, of course. Um, Josiah Brown of Laburnum Lodge, Laburnum Vale, Chiswick. And uh, mm. Mr. Sandiford. Yes, of uh, Lower Grove Road, Reading. Reading, yes. Mm. Good. Have you ever seen the man on this photograph before? Who oh, no. <laughs> you would hardly forget him, would you, sir? I have seldom seen an uglier. Oh. Do you have any Italians on your staff? Uh, yes, sir, several. Could they have glanced at the sales book if they wanted to? Oh, I dare say. There's no particular reason for keeping a watch on it. I could see Holmes was thoroughly satisfied by the turn which affairs were taking, and we hurried back to Baker Street for our appointment with Lestrade, who was already waiting impatiently for us. Ah, well, Mr. Holmes, I have identified the dead man. You don't say? And found a cause for the crime. Splendid. We have an Inspector Hill on the force who makes a speciality of the Italian quarter. He knew the dead man the moment he caught sight of him. Oh, and who was he? Pietro Venucci from Naples. And one of the greatest cutthroats in London. Mm. And the motive you spoke of? Ah, Venucci was connected with the Mafia, which enforces its decrees by murder. The other fellow is also probably Italian and a member of the Mafia, who has broken the rules in some way. And uh, why is Pietro carrying the photograph of the other man? Uh, so that he does not knife the wrong person. But in the event, having followed his victim, he receives his own death wound in the struggle. Excellent, Lestrade. <laughs> uh, but I don't quite follow your explanation of the destruction of the bus. Ah, oh, the bus for nothing. Petty larceny, six months at most. Ah. It is the murder we are really investigating. And what is the next stage? We go down with Inspector Hill to the Italian quarter, find the man on the photograph and arrest him. Will you come with us? I think not. Hmm? I fancy we can lay him by the heels in a simpler way. In the Italian quarter? No, no, no. I fancy Chiswick is more likely to find him. Hmm? If you will come with me to Chiswick tonight, Lestrade, I'll promise to go to the Italian quarter with you tomorrow... And no harm will be done by the delay. I suppose not. Good, good. Now, you'll dine with us, of course, Lestrade, ah. but I do not propose to leave before 11. Ah, and Watson, yes? I should be glad if you would ring for an express messenger. Right. Uh, I've a letter to send. Very well. Holmes spent the evening rummaging among the files of old papers in one of our lumber rooms, and although he said nothing as a result of his researches, there was triumph in his eyes. I could not yet perceive the goal we would reach, save that the object of our journey was to catch the man in the very act of making an attempt on one of the two remaining busts. I could not but admire the cunning 
with which my friend had inserted a false clue in the paper, so as to give the fellow the idea he could continue his scheme with impunity. Right, gentlemen, there is a four-wheeler at the door. Ah, right. uh, do you have your revolver, Watson? I do. Then let's be on our way. Mm. When we reached Laburnum Villa Chiswick, the occupants had evidently retired, for all was dark. We may thank our stars it's not raining. I fear we may have a long time to wait. It proved otherwise, however. No sooner had we positioned ourselves in the shadow cast by the garden fence than without the least sound to warn us, the gate swung open and a dark figure as swift and active as an ape rushed up the path and made for a window. We could nap him now. Yeah, we can as easily wait until he comes out. We saw the man's lantern move from room to room inside the house, and then suddenly he came back through the window. Under his arm was a bust of Napoleon. If we don't move now, he'll get away. Illustrate. Oh. No, he hasn't finished yet. The silence of the deserted street reassured the man, and he turned his back on us and laid down his burden. Now we can move. We all three of us laid hands on the man together, and in an instant, Lestrade had fastened handcuffs on him. As we turned round, his furious features glared at us. The man from the photograph, all right, Mr. Holmes. Just as you said. But it was not our prisoner to whom Holmes was giving his attention. He was carefully examining the fragments of the bust but in no way did they differ from any other shattered piece of plaster. Well, it was, uh, it was a two-to-one chance. Let us reassure Mr. Josiah Brown that all is now well. Mr. Brown proved to be the jovial owner of the house to whom Holmes had sent his letter earlier in the evening, instructing him to lock all his doors on the inside. Now that the burglar had been caught... Mr. Brown would willingly have given us some refreshment, but Lestrade was anxious to get his man to safe quarters, especially as a quick search of his clothing had revealed a long sheath knife, the handle of which bore copious traces of recent blood. I'm sure I'm exceedingly obliged to you, Mr. Holmes, for the workmanlike way in which you laid hands on him. But I... Oh, I don't quite understand it all yet. It's rather too late an hour for explanations. Yes. Besides, there are one or two details which are not finished off. Huh? And it is one of those cases which are worth working out to the very end. If you'll come round to our rooms once more at, um, say, six o'clock tomorrow evening, I think I shall be able to show you that this business is absolutely original in the history of crime. When we met again next evening, Lestrade was furnished with much information concerning our prisoner. Most of this we already knew, and Holmes listened with polite attention. But I, who knew him so well, could clearly see that his thoughts were elsewhere. It took a ring on our doorbell for his eyes to brighten. A minute later, an elderly red-faced man was ushered in. Uh, is uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes here? Mr. Sandiford of Reading, I suppose? Yes, sir. I fear I'm a little late, but the trains were awkward. You wrote to me about a bust of Napoleon that is in my possession. Exactly. You're prepared to pay me ten pounds for it, you say in your letter. Is that right? Certainly. 
Oh, I was very much surprised that you knew I owned such a thing. I was given your address by Harding Brothers. Oh, that was it, was it? Were you, uh, were you also told what I paid for it? No, 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 I was not. Oh, well, I'm an honest man, though not a very rich one. I only gave 15 shillings for the bust, and I think you ought to know that before I take ten pounds from you. As scrupled as you honour, Mr Sandiford, uh, but I have named that price, and I intend to stick to it. <laughs> well, well, that's very handsome of you, Mr Holmes. I've brought the bust with me, as you asked. There. Yeah. He opened his bag, and at last we saw, placed upon our table a complete specimen of what we had already seen more than once in fragments. Excellent. And here is your ten pounds. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> now, if you will be good enough just to sign this paper... What is it? Oh, it's simply to transfer every possible right that you ever had in the bus to me. You never know what turn events might take afterwards. <laughs> You're a methodical man, sir. I try to be. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Sandiford. <laughs> and I wish you a very good evening. And good night to you, sir. Uh, no, now, what was that all about? You'll see in just a moment, Lestrade. Uh, a piece of good, Watson, is to put this cloth underneath the basket. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And now, uh, the poker. Okay. Hmm? Yep. Thank you. Now, let me see. Suddenly, Holmes held up one splinter in which a round, dark object was fixed like a plum in a pudding. Gentlemen, let me introduce you to the famous Black Pearl of the Bourgeois. Extraordinary. But how in the world did it get there? Don't I remember that being stolen from that time? The Prince of Colonna out of a bedroom at the Dacre Hotel. You have the case exactly, Lestrade. Yeah. Uh, can you also recall on whom suspicion fell? Yeah, the maid of the princess. And she had a brother in London. But we failed to trace a connection. The maid's name was Lucretia Venucci. Ah, so the Pietro who was murdered two nights ago was her brother? Mm, there's no doubt in my mind. So yesterday you were looking up the details of the case in the papers. Yes, I found the disappearance of the pearl was exactly two days before the arrest of Beppo for some crime of violence in the factory of Gelder and Company. So... Are you saying Beppo was Pietro's confederate? Oh, he may have been, or he may have stolen the pearl from Pietro. Uh -huh. It's of no consequence. I mean, the, the main fact is that he had the pearl on his person when he was pursued by the police into the factory. Where he found the six casts of Napoleon drying. Precisely. It was the matter of a moment to conceal the pearl within the wet plaster. But then Beppo was sent down for a year. And meanwhile, the six busts were scattered over London. Mm. He could not tell which contained his treasure. Except by breaking each and every one. Right. Through a cousin who works for Gelder, he found out the two retail firms who had bought the busts. And he managed to find employment with one of them, Moss Hudson. In that way, he was able to track down three of the busts. But still no pearl. Yeah. Through an employee at Harding Brothers, he managed to locate the other three. But at the first of these, Horace Harkers, his confederate, caught up with him and was killed in the subsequent scuffle. But now, if he was his confederate... Why should he carry his photograph? As a means of tracing him, if he wished to inquire about him from any third person, just as we've done. 
But did you know all along that it was this pearl? No, no, but it was evident that he was looking for something because he chose to break the bust in a garden which had a lamp overlooking it. Ah. The name Venucci linked these events with the past. And there were then only the two busts left, Josiah Brown's and Mr. Sandford's. And ultimately, only one. And there it lies. And among its fragments, this pearl, which I feel you might put in the safe, Watson. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. I have seen you handle a good many cases, Mr. Holmes. But I don't know that I ever knew a more workmanlike one than this. If you come down to Scotland Yard tomorrow, there is not a man, from the oldest inspector to the youngest constable, who wouldn't be glad to shake you by the hand. Thank you, Lestrade. Thank you. As Holmes turned away, it seemed to me just for a moment that he was more nearly moved by the softer human emotions than I had ever seen him. If any other little problem comes your way, I shall be happy, if I can, to give you a hint or two as to its solution. In The Six Napoleons by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Timothy Bateson, Horace Harker and Morse Hudson, Lawrence Payne, Harding and Sandiford, Andrew Winkert, the German manager, and Steve Hodson, the congratulatory Inspector Lestrade. The music was written by Joss Sanglier and played by Joss Sanglier and Elizabeth Fellows. Six Napoleons was dramatised by Grant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions.